Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. China will soon lose its status as the world's most populous nation. According to UN population projections, India will overtake China in a couple of months. Is this shift in the world's so-called center of gravity cause for concern? How will that impact China's economy and the global economic growth? Also, will India replace China as the new world factory, as some are suggesting? Welcome to a special edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin, coming to you from Beijing. I'm pleased to be joined from Tel Aviv, Israel, by Professor Zhang Gong, Vice President of Research and Strategy at the University of International Business and Economics, Israel. From Beijing, by uh, Hu Naijing, Associate Professor of School of Public Policy and Management at the University of, of the Chinese Academy of uh, Sciences. And from Vancouver, Canada, by Swaran Singh, Visiting Professor of the Department of Political Science at the University City of British Columbia. Gentlemen, the warmest welcome to the point. So, um, Professor Gong, let me go to you first. Now, although China's population shrank slightly in 2022 last year, uh, it still has over 1.4 billion people, but it looks like in a couple of months' time, as the UN predicts, India will replace China as the world's most populous nation. But uh, also, according to statistics, working age population makes up about 60% of China's overall population. So will China's demographics drag down the Chinese economy and the world economy with it, as some are cautioning? Well, um, the economics, uh, you know, there's some consensus that uh, the overall economic growth is very much driven by demographics, driven by the population growth. Um, and, and there's plenty of empirical evidence to show that um, the economic growth tends to uh, slow down as population slows down. And the population growth is also uh, driven very much by economic growth, actually. Um, I mean, you look at the um, advanced economy, especially, I think, in the Scandinavian uh, countries, uh, the population has been slowing down dramatically. And that's sort of, this is nothing unique uh, about China. It happens in many advanced economies, happening in uh, Japan, happening in uh, South Korea. So this is an overall trend that's kind of difficult to fight against. It's not necessarily a bad thing. However, having said that, I think, you know, this time around, there might be a little bit different because, um, you know, all of a sudden we're seeing a rapid um, uh, uh, development of uh, robotics, uh, development of uh, artificial intelligence. So as I see it, there's a, um, a, a structural change to the economy uh, brought about by, by technologies. Essentially, it's a supply shock in a way. And, and I think this happens at a time when China's population is starting to slow down dramatically. So, uh, so in a way, uh, you know, it alleviates the, the pressure uh, on the economy, on, on the population side. Let me go to Professor Hu about your projections of the possible downside effect of uh, China's population being replaced by that of India uh, on the Chinese economy and the global economy at large. Do you think there will be a noticeable impact? Yes, I think there must be some impacts and challenges to some sectors, such as our manufacturing sector, our labor-intensive sector, because we come to face the challenge of the so-called labor division, which is now obviously shifting from China to not only India, but also some other countries like Vietnam. 
So I think uh, the low cost of labor advantage is not in existence in China. We are facing challenges of not only the numbers of our labor aid population, but also the rising of our labor cost because our uh, economic growth, our uh, wage income is much higher than it used to be. So the development pattern must be different from it used to be for 40 years. So I think I, I agree with Professor Gong that we need to develop our technological investment. We need to develop our tertiary uh, sector, such as healthcare, such as medicines, such as uh, artificial intelligence, etc., etc. So there must be transfer of our own economic structure to face the challenge. Generally speaking, I, I'm optimistic about this because we are transferring our economy, and I think we are ready for this challenge. So we don't have to be uh, panic. We are ready for this because nearly 10 years ago, we are trying to transfer our economic structure comparing with other kind of factors. We cannot grow as we used to be. That is, mm -hmm. in my opinion, known to the world in more than 10 years ago. Yeah. Professor Singh, uh, how is this issue being discussed in India or being perceived in India, the fact that India will now be the world's number one in terms of its population? Is it simply an economic issue? Are there other aspects that people are focusing on? I think definitely uh, the news coming from United Nations about India maybe by the middle of this year, crossing China and becoming the largest population country uh, is definitely a talking point. Uh, but it's not going to uh, completely change uh, either uh, the internal situation or equations uh, between China and India. It uh, really follows the trends that we have seen uh, earlier that prosperity in any country leads to uh, slowing down of uh, birth rates, uh, increasing of longevity, uh, same thing is happening in China. And uh, sooner or later, same thing will happen in India. Indeed, the growth rate uh, of population both in China and India uh, has over time begun to slow down, except that India's growth rate is slowing down a little slower than China. So in that sense, it is going to happen in both China and India. And of course, uh, it does create a certain sense of both enthusiasm and responsibility as to when the workforce in India will cross the total workforce of China, what India wants to do with that workforce and how to use that demographic dividend, as we call it. Uh, important thing to understand is that India may not really replicate and need not replicate uh, China's uh, success story of last 40 years, because when China started to open up and reform, that was the time when manufacturing sector was the driver of uh, growth rates and, and GDPs around the world. And of course, China made best of it. And today, China produces almost 30% of global manufacturing. But world is now moving towards certain uh, services sector you know, driven by uh, information technology related services. So India will have to increase the skill and, and capacity of this young workforce. Uh, in that direction. So basically, it brings both a great opportunity, but also responsibility as to how to use that enormous uh, demographic dividend that India may have. But I don't think this should be seen as a, as a kind of a sudden change. This was a change in anticipation. And it's also a slow moving change, which is going to continue over a period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, so nothing, nothing in a kind of a, a, a quick a, you know, mm -hmm. shift between either the bilateral relations or the demographics in China 
than India, but definitely I think India has now a younger workforce of a larger size. Yeah. And uh, India has to really take care of how to empower them to be more productive. So let's look into the nuanced picture. I mean, um, we basically touched upon it a little bit. And Professor Gong, let me go to you. Although the overall number may be that India has, will surpass China as the largest population. But if you break it down, for instance, the workforce uh, as uh, the percentage of the population or gender, you know, the percentage of women of working age who are uh, in the labor market and uh, the level of training or education or the so-called talent aspect of the demographic dividend, what are some of the nuanced pictures that are being lost in the discussion about which country is the most populous country in the world? Well, you have actually provided almost all the answers. Um, you're absolutely right uh, that uh, this is a very nuanced picture. Um, I think what really matters is the productivity. Um, it, it, as long as the productivity is driving economic growth, even with a shrinking labor supply, it's okay. Um, and, and on top of this, of course, you, know, you raised issue about the women uh, participation in the, the workforce, the training level, uh, the human capital issue, um, and, and also, um, and I think also that also factors associated with the uh, with the market. You know, which economy is more tuned for manufacturing, for example. You know, these are all you know, very important issues, probably uh, lost in the. Uh, population debate. So, so overall, I think uh, my key message here is that even though China has lost its position as the biggest labor market in the world, I think it's okay because we're entering into an era where the labor market is uh, undergoing a very fundamental and revolutionary transformation in my view. In, in other words, it's not so much the, the quantity of the labor force that really matters, it's the quality as well as its interaction with, with the application of machines, robotics, uh, and artificial intelligence. Uh, it's the right combination in a labor market that's actually winning the economy mm. uh, the competition. Yeah, Professor Singh, what is your reaction? Do you agree with uh, uh, Professor Gong's uh, assessment that is not necessarily the quantity, the number, but the quality of the workforce that really makes the difference? What is your take? As he mentioned earlier, all the developed countries have undergone this process of uh, shrinking of population, but they have continued to be robust and powerful economies. So. Productivity, yes, has certain amount of link to the number of workforce that each nation has. But the productivity of that workforce also depends on how skilled and how productive they are, in which case technology does play an important role. And in that sense, I think other than just infusion of technology within the workforce, of course, the whole world knows China also has an impressive record of women employment and women empowerment and women being productive. In fact, uh, more than the global average uh, Chinese women have been participating in uh, you know, being productive for the global, for the, for the Chinese GDP. Uh, India, in that sense, has to also focus on educating and providing skills to women workforce uh, to, you know, bring that potential into use. And uh, likewise, I think one can also see as to what particular parts of each country, for example, in China, the northeastern provinces have been normally seeing outflow of populations to the eastern flank where GDP in Zhejiang, in Shanghai and Guangdong was growing much faster. Likewise in India, for example, in India, the population growth rates in south of India are slower than population growth rates in north, whereas the skill and education 
is usually seen as better in south of india so some of these internal details of various components mm. segments of population uh, will have to provide a feed into the how policies are to be made and how policies will be implemented uh, fundamentally to ensure that both china and india continue to be productive because put together they are virtually 40% of global population so if these two countries are taking care of their citizens they are automatically taking care of 40% of global population and of course it has spin offs to the other global gdps also india today is the fastest growing leading economy already uh, and now is that opportunity here where the workforce is expanding and there is a greater opportunity to take it forward Professor Hu, China's population fell for the first time last year alarmingly uh, by some 850,000. That's the first time in decades and despite incentives and policies to encourage more birth. So has China lost its demographic uh, dividend? I mean, to put it in a simple way, and that's the question a lot of people are asking. Has China's workforce shrank accordingly? Well, I think the birth rate declining is very uh, normal in any developed countries. Uh, so I think China is, in my opinion, is going into this kind of period uh, with a rapid developed growth rate in the past. We also witnessed a kind of decline in our uh, fertility rate. So that is very common, in my opinion. And uh, since the to well, we, also, we also had the family planning policy. I think um, that factor is also necessary to be mentioned. How big of a factor is that in the trend of decline in the Chinese population? That is what I'm going to say, that there is a kind of argument that our one-child policy had led to a certain amount of less population. But I'm not totally agree with this point of view, because with our economic growth, if there is no such kind of one-child policy, our birth rate will be declining because of economic growth itself. So I think with the development in the future, our birth rate is not easy to be coming back to a higher level. So in the near future or in the long run, we must go with this kind of decline of a fertility rate. But I, on the other hand, I think this is uh, also a kind of trigger that with the growth of our economy and society, we can have a better education and healthcare system, which will make our people with high quality. That is the so-called, uh, in my opinion, the, uh, the talent dividend, not only labor dividend, but also talent dividend. And I think with uh, statistics and number, we can see that uh, the average life expectancy, the healthcare situations, and especially some kind of statistics on the disease, etc., etc., can show us that China is still maintaining a kind of advantage on the population quality because of our social development, on social security, on healthcare, on housing, etc., etc. So I think China and India are also facing the kind of unbalanced development in different regions. Right now, both countries face the challenge of how to deliver our healthcare education resources to the grassroots, to the rural level. So from this point of view, I think there are a lot of work to do for us yeah. to enhance our labor quality. Professor Gong, let me get back to you because I'm sure this question is on the mind of a lot of people. How much of a factor has China's uh, uh, family planning policy had on the trend of Chinese population growth? Um, there are also people who have argued, who are arguing that had China not had the uh, one-child policy, its economic growth, the rise of people's living standard wouldn't have been so fast, so quickly. What is your take on the balance 
How much has China's family planning policy contributed to China's fantastic economic growth over the past few decades? I don't mind uh, taking a position that uh, the birth control policy definitely uh, contributed to the slowing down of the uh, population growth. I think uh, this policy uh, should have stopped long t- quite some time ago. Uh, it stopped too late, in my view. For you know, for a long time, you know, this policy has been subject to a lot of criticism in the past. But we we adopted this policy in the nineteen, I think it's like nineteen nineties, nineteen eighties, right? So uh, it was was out of. 70s, I'm sorry. Yeah, 70s, yeah. So, but we adopted a policy out of the, the concern of uh, population growth, outpacing a lot, much uh, more than the, uh, uh, the, the, the improvement, uh, the development of uh, speed of economic development and, and speed of uh, productivity increase. And, and, you know, with that kind of a growth, uh, population is not sustainable. So, we really adopted this uh, policy, um, you know, out of urgency at the time. It, you know, it played a very important historic role. Uh, and I think it definitely contributed to the immense growth in the 1980s and 1990s. But, you know, I think the policy makers uh, in the government should have made a much better judgment that this policy should have changed quite some time ago. And I think they did this a little bit too late and a bit too little. But that's okay. I think, you know, we also very, like as I mentioned, that um, you know, at this time, um, it, it, there is indeed a reduced demand for the labor market at this point because of the you know, economic, because of the technological development, because of the uh, development of AI, because of robotics. Uh, and I think this coincidence probably helps us a lot, actually. Even though we're all talking about um, you know, the population reduced uh, reduction and, and, and all these issues in, in India and China, but also look at the, the real data here. Unemployment, especially unemployment among young people in China right now, is actually very high. I'm pretty sure in India, they have the same problem. You know, 90 million jobs need to be created every year. And that's a huge challenge, right? So um, I'm not, I don't really view the population slowing down necessarily as a, as a bad thing. I think, you know, right now, uh, we're facing a challenge of uh, unemployment at this point. And, uh, you know, the reduced uh, growth of population may be, uh, may be a blessing, if, if anything. So uh, it's not necessarily bad thing. Excellent point. Um, Professor Singh, what is your take? Because um, it's nice to to have a big family, to have a lot of people, to have a lot of young people, so you potentially have a huge workforce, but it also takes a lot of resources to feed these people. They uh, consume a lot of resources. As we know, the Earth is experiencing crises in terms of resources and pollution, and you also have to provide education, health care to all of these people. So it's not just about the numbers. Is it a curse or a blessing really for countries such as India and there are other countries in Africa for instance whose population is growing very rapidly as well. So is it a good thing or a bad thing? Is India ready and able to cope with that challenge? First of all, I think uh, governments can influence uh, demographic trends uh, to some extent. Uh, but demographic, uh, demographies are not a matter of choices uh, that can be, you know, sort of easily uh, influenced. And therefore, first of all, it is uh, very much on expected lines that China's population has begun to shrink uh, because of a level of development that China has reached. And as I mentioned, initially, yes, it could happen in India also. But demographic dividend is something which is, uh, you know, understood around the world. And you mentioned Africa. It is because of demographics that Africa is today seen as a continent of the future. 
where both consumption and production is going to shift shift in terms of global trends and then how the world will be moving and i think china is majorly involved in several Afri- african countries with that understanding that that is where the growth rates are going to happen what yes now it comes both with the uh, opportunities and challenges now if there is a large workforce it has to be given opportunities to be productive and providing employment could be one way of it but also facilitating and creating opportunities for entrepreneurs to create more opportunities and it's not just the state perhaps to some extent china particularly in the past had state providing for uh, most of the employment for their own workforce but that's not how it works in india there are very powerful private enterprises uh, small level enterprises mid size enterprises that also create employment but fundamentally i think why why this is called demographic dividend is that workforce particularly when it is young is going to be really productive uh, you know states can create more opportunities for them make them more productive channelize them in the right direction or you know let them do the way they want but they will still be productive younger people have their whole life ahead and they want to do something in life is the indian government ready and uh, able to provide the kind of education opportunities for instance before the workforce becomes productive they need to be trained they need to be educated they need to be taken care of you know the infant mortality for instance need, need to be kept down so is india taking these measures seriously and taking these measures to really benefit the growing population without doubt india as i said the demographic shift is not something that comes as a news to any country so india has been fully aware of that kind of demographic change in the offing and therefore several initiatives have been made in the past you know we have now a special ministry for skill development which focuses on creating that kind of opportunity for younger people to train them better we also of course as a very large ministry of education healthcare is one of the very important missions of indian prime minister which wants to focus on using all kinds of assets that india has in terms of ancient medicine to you know, sort of the more well-being of people using all kinds of traditions of medicine in that sense yes there has been enormous amount of effort being made at the government level but government is also encouraging people to find their own resources and find their own opportunities and facilitate that by creating uh, infrastructure by creating uh, uh, laws by creating mechanisms where people can be basically more productive now whether those policies are all going to be 100% mm-hmm. success yeah. that of course we will know in future on okay professor hu now premier li chiang talked about talent dividend in china this march when he was meeting the press what do you think exactly he meant and what made it possible for china to be able to reap the talent dividend even if it is so called demographic dividend is diminishing the kind of enabling state concept is coming into place for example our country china has taken great care of the education system the healthcare system as a housing system and the young graduate students employment system etc etc so i think what our premier li chang has said is quite clear that uh, we will enabling our labor population whether the quantity of the labor population is shrinking but we must enhance their quality so i think this is not easy there must be a comprehensive uh, systems and uh, uh, measures to help our population to be more in my opinion productive 
this kind of productive doesn't mean we, we have much higher time to, to labor, but we have much higher efficiency and much higher quality uh, and much higher education intensive, not only labor intensive. So I think there are a lot of things for us to do, and our government is focusing on this. And also there are, in my opinion, kind of uh, ideological differences between China and maybe India, for, ex for example. That is to say, in our country, that the main resources of education, healthcare, housing, etc., etc., are majority controlled by our government. But I think in India, the market system, the market regime, in my opinion, is taking advantage. So I think through the government policy and through the government implementation, we have this kind of confidence in enhancing the uh, human resources. And in some countries, okay. if there is a market oriented, then there may be kind of pressure for any government to reallocate our resources. I have to point out that in China, actually, the great majority of employment is done through the private sector, and the number of enterprises are greater in the in the private sector than the state-owned sector, although the scale is different. Um, finally, Professor Gong, beside the impacts on these two countries um, that are sharing 40% of the world's population. What is the impact for the rest of the world when, you know, China and India are kind of locked in the, in the talk about who has more people, who has more talent? What do you think is, um, should the world be watching out for when we're talking about who's the most populous country in the world? Politicians in the West seem to think that, um, uh, you know, China's status as a global manufacturing center is start to change. There are other alternatives like India, for example. I think from China's perspective, our goal is to have our economy to be upgraded, uh, to have a structural upgrade, moving towards high-end manufacturing, yeah. more value-added manufacturing, more talent-intensive uh, uh, human capital intensive manufacturing. Right. So that's okay. I think, uh, you know, this is a normal trend is probably uh, working both ways for and I suggest people look at the latest uh, investment number that China has just released from um, Japan, America, Europe, France to China. They have grown uh, significantly over the same period of time last year, some by 600% by France, for instance. I think there it also shows what the big business sector is thinking about, whether there is a talent or demographic dividend in China. Anyway, we have to leave it there. Many thanks to Professor John Gong joining us from Tel Aviv, Israel, Professor Swaran Singh joining us from Vancouver, Canada, and Professor Hunai Jing joining us from Beijing. With that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point. <laughs>